As always, it is just an absolute um, blessing to be able to get together and worship and praise our God and our King, our Lord. And it's uh, great to be assembled and, and to, to, again, be just overwhelmed, if you will, when we start to think and process how good our God is towards us and for us. Amen. I, I was thinking as uh, we were, uh, even in first service, but as we were transitioning and getting into the sermon, and how many of you ever heard of, and you're familiar with, uh, who Helen Keller was? Everybody know? Yeah, everyone's raising their hand and saying, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to read something for, for you that she said, and she said this, so much has been given to me that I don't, that I have, I'm sorry, that I have no time to ponder that which I don't have. I, I could learn from that. And I know a lot of us could, but I, I could learn from that. And may that be, be my attitude, my approach, my attitude of thanksgiving. And again, to quote Helen Keller, so much has been given to me that I have no time to ponder that which I don't have. But we're always wanting. We're always looking on the other side, over the fence. We're looking at the other. We're always comparing. We're, we're, we're wanting. But we've been given so much. There's so much to thank the Lord for. And that's, that's where we are today as we prepare ourselves for Thanksgiving on Thursday. The title of my message this morning is called Why Christians Ought to Thank God. Why Christians Ought to Thank God. Now, we might be familiar with this, and if you're a believer, you're a Christian, you might know why. Or at least you think you know why, and then the question becomes, do you actually thank God? That's a whole, that's a whole other discussion and a whole other thing to evaluate in our lives. But why Christians ought to thank God. Now, when I say ought, I chose that word intentionally because the word ought and should are two different words and they mean different things. Ought and should. I'll just tell you, and I'll, you can have homework, which is healthy. Do some research online. Look in some dictionaries and look at the difference between what the word ought means and what the word should means. I will just tell you that more often than not, when we use the word should, there is often, if I can take the liberty, this, there's a subjectivity to it. It's subjective. When we take the word ought, it is based on something a little more objective and a prescribed manner of living, a law, if you will, or in this case as Christians, God's laws, His commands. They're not changeable. They're not open to interpretation, per se, as we like to say. They are what they are, and they're rigid. It's black and white. And there are things that we ought to do, and they're based on objective truth or commands, in this case, as we'll talk about Thanksgiving. Why Christians ought to thank God. By the way, there are more than just the reasons I will put forth today, and you can think of others, and that's great, you should. And if, my, if, if anything, my job is always to get your mind going and your heart going, and hopefully it's going in the right direction toward the Lord. I will never present something that is completely exhaustive. 
But my job, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to put something into your spirit, into your heart, that you could grow as a believer and in your faith and then exercise your faith. And if part of that process is to engage your mind and you go deeper, I've done my job. I have always said that in my Sunday school classes, I am not here to be the authority. The authority is right here. But, but I will hopefully present something based on this authority so that you can think through and be, and be inspired to go deeper in your thinking and your search for how you can thank God and grow in your relationship with Him. My text is in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 to 7 and also Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. And I will read those three verses all together. Again, Colossians 2, 6 to 7, and Colossians 4, verse 2. And the Apostle Paul says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. I have to admit, that's hard for me to do sometimes. When I start looking around, when I start thinking, and I base everything on my feelings or the mood I'm in or whatever, and I, I can admit, not happily, that I don't overflow with thanksgiving more often than I would want to admit. And then chapter 4, verse 2, and Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. And last week we heard a message from Pastor Dan on prayer. And, and he was mentioning and he touched just very briefly on this idea that our prayer must have thanksgiving. They go hand in hand. And Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be committed, in other words. Be all in. Be people who are continually praying. He says, being watchful and thankful. Our prayer needs to be I have two things, actually, that are part of our prayer. Must, these two things must be contained in our praying. Being watchful or alert or aware of what's happening around us spiritually and, and every other way so that we know how we should pray, but also we should be thankful. Alert and thankful in our praying. Praying and thanking go hand in hand. And Paul writes these. Now, I would like to just add... I make a point here and a note that, and, and if you haven't thought about this or if you don't understand where Colossians was written, it was written by Paul, but where it was written, as well as some of the other epistles. The epistles, most of them, some of them were written in, in prison when Paul was in prison. And still, it is littered, it is filled with thanksgiving in his writings. And I'll reference that later in the sermon, but also right now, just in Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 7, as I just read. Chapter 3, verse 15 uh, and 17. Chapter 4 and verse 2, as I also just read. But in, and there are other implications there about being grateful and thankful. All while in prison. Now you might think, just as a little challenge here as we're beginning our sermon, that you're, you're in prison in some way and you can't stand all these restrictions and we have all these masks and we have shutdowns and we have lockdowns and the virus, I'm so sick of it and, and we're tired and we're fearful and we're maybe nervous and we're anxious and 
politically and COVID and, and things in our family and finances and economy and everything else, and we're freaking out, if you will. Paul was behind bars, and he thanked God. And he was constantly thanking God. And he's thanking God here as he writes this epistle. And he's encouraging believers to be grateful, all while he's behind bars and writing several epistles. Being thankful and grateful to God, no matter the situation. Now, there's four reasons I would put forth to give thanks to God, why we ought to give thanks. There are more, I understand. But let me summarize by giving you four reasons to give thanks to God, and especially if you're a believer. First, we should thank God and be devoted to that prayer and thanksgiving because those before us gave thanks to God. There is a long history of believers in God, followers of God, Christians, the church that has given thanks to God on an ongoing basis. It was ongoing. It wasn't just sometimes, well, maybe historically when there were up and downs, but generally history, throughout history, God's people have thanked God and given glory to God through thanksgiving. The Old Testament is filled, almost to overflowing, if you will, in some ways, with praise, but especially thanks to God. Now, let me just remind you, if you're familiar with the story, and most people in general, the population, can at least know something about Noah and the great flood and the ark, right? When Noah, after being in that, in that boat, that ark, and all those waters and all those, I mean, just days upon days, and the wind and the rain, and being with the animals in that ark. I don't even know what, I can't even imagine that scene, what it looked like or what it smelled like or what it felt like. It, it, it was, had to be unbearable in some ways. And do you know that when they finally, the ark finally rests on dry land, and immediately after Noah and his family, the eight of them and all the animals come out of that ark, what is the first thing that Noah does? He builds an altar in chapter 8 of Genesis. He builds an altar. And altars are, are synonymous, obviously, the idea with sacrifices. But in this case, and most cases in the Old Testament even, with the sacrifices, there is a praise to God. There is a worship to God. There is thanksgiving. And no one can convince me, even though it says that Noah built an altar. And it doesn't say Noah built an altar and gave thanks. He sacrificed. But Noah built an altar. No one can convince me. That when he got off that boat, he wasn't thanking God for fresh air. He wasn't thanking God for sunny skies. He wasn't thanking God for dry land. He wasn't thanking God that his family is spared from the flood. He's thanking God and praising him with that altar that he built in Genesis 8. There are many other examples, and of course, I'll reference the most famous and popular, and the one we love to, to reference all the time is King David in the Old Testament, who wrote the, so many of the Psalms, probably half, or maybe slightly more than half of the Psalms, along with many others who wrote the Psalms, including Solomon, and some prophets, in fact, that wrote some of the Psalms. If you started my Psalms class last year, and we never got to finish because of the shutdown, but you remember part of that, that opening. We, all those authors of the Psalms 
and the priests that were involved that wrote some of the psalms. But the psalms are filled with thanksgiving. Every other verse, it feels like anyway, not literally, but it's, we're, we're told and there's a, a thanksgiving made to God and praises to God. All the authors of the psalms and the prophets. You would be amazed when you read the prophets and how many of their words that they have put forth from God, speaking of God's behalf, that they have, and it's recorded in the canon and documented there, how they're praising God and thanking Him. Do your research. I just encourage you again, read the Bible, and you will be amazed at what you discovered and how much thanks the prophets gave to God, the Lord. You will be blessed when you discover that. Not only the Old Testament prophets and kings and 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 priests. But what about Jesus himself? He went before us. God came down the incarnation at the incarnation. He took on flesh. He lived as a man and he lived his life with thanksgiving. There are several instances throughout the gospels that record Jesus giving thanks to God. I'm not going to give you all of them for time's sake, but they're there. Jesus thanked God in Matthew chapter 15 when he had thousands of people who were hungry and there was no food. And I just want to point out, as you know, that a little boy comes and he has two fish and five little loaves of bread. Now, let me just say this, and it's very practical for us, and a lesson for us in our lives, and an encouragement and a challenge to live a life of thanksgiving and to give thanks, no matter what it looks or feels like around us. Here's Jesus the man. Yes, he's the God-man, but here's Jesus the man in his humanity. And he sees thousands of people that are hungry, and his disciples can't do anything about the hunger. Or maybe unwilling, but they can't. And Jesus takes from this boy this little tiny amount of food. And if he holds it up, and if he's facing the crowd, just picture this in your mind, and he takes two fish and five loaves, and he sees thousands of people, and he holds it up, I would have went, oh, brother, what am I going to do with this? Nope. Jesus takes that, and no matter what you have, no matter the little that Jesus has, you take that, you lift it to God, and you thank God for that. And God will multiply and he'll do whatever he's got to do to meet every need around you in God's time. He will do it. He will do something miraculous and multiply that thing that seems impossible or so small in that huge, overwhelming and, and crushing situation around you. Jesus can do something miraculous when you thank him. Because part of that thanksgiving shows your trust in God that you rely on Him even with that little. Jesus did that and thousands were fed with food left over. What about Jesus? In John chapter 11, again, when his best, one of His best friends, Lazarus, dies. And he comes to the, the tomb where he's, he's, in the cemetery, the tomb there where he's, he's buried already. And he's been dead for a few days. And he comes and Jesus calls out to God the Father and listen to what he says. He says, I thank you, God, my Father. I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. Now listen, 
we can pray something very similar, if not the same. Not because we're the God-man, Jesus, but because we're the children of God, and Jesus already is in heaven interceding for us, and what he did in atoning for our sins allows us to come to God, and now God hears us when we pray because we are at peace with God. Our sins are dealt with. God hears us when we pray. We can thank God that he hears us because of what Jesus did on our behalf and that he is our intercessor and mediator. I thank you, Father, that you always hear me. Jesus, thank God. I'll give you one more. Jesus also, as you know, when we have the Lord's Supper or communion here monthly at New Hope Chapel, he always, and we read the scripture very often, Jesus took at the Last Supper before he was betrayed and he would die on the cross for sins. He, he takes the cup and he takes the bread. And what did he do? He gave thanks. When he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he shared it. And let me just tell you something, just to kind of tease it a little bit, and maybe you can think about this. The idea that Jesus, who is the bread of life, he feeds all the multitudes of people. And now this Jesus, who gives and he gives thanks for this last supper, the cup and the, the bread. And he's the bread of life and he's giving himself. And that has multiplied to millions of people across this globe over the generations and centuries. Just think about that. All because Jesus thanked God and of course willingly gave himself. The early church thanked God. We have examples of that. When they got together, they praised God and they were worshiping and thanking the Lord. And the epistles are filled with the writers constantly thanking God. They were thanking God for who he was historically, for what he had provided for them, from what he had given for them, especially their salvation and their grace on their life and choosing them. And, and the, the apostles in their writings, and especially Paul, and I'll read them, he was thanking God for God's attributes but he was also thanking God for God's people. He was thanking God for the people he was writing to. Let me give you an example and go through a few. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Bless, I'm sorry, verse 15, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. He's thanking God for the Ephesians. Flip over in your Bible if it's open to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time he thinks of God's people in Philippi, he thanks God and he says in verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Thanking God. Can I, should I keep going? Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We give God thanks always. We give God thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. These are my words. These are the apostles' words. And it's a model, it's an example that those before us have thanked God and we should do the same. So we have an example from God's people throughout history to thank God. Second, we should thank God because being thankful 
is the will of God. Now, I mentioned that we have models or examples before us historically. Why? Because these examples knew and understood that it was God's will that they should thank God all the time. And they did it, and they showed us that. And the reason for that is, is because being thankful is the will of God. That's why we ought to thank God. It is God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Apostle Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will, not Paul's will, not my will, not man's will, not Dennis's will, not Robin's will. It's God's will in Christ Jesus, that we would thank, give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians. He tells them how they ought to live as people of God and things they shouldn't do and practices they shouldn't get engaged in, engaged in or involved with. And he says, follow God's example in verse 4, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering. Verse 4, There should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let me, let me take a liberty here and just speak the way it is. We're living in a time where even in the church, and I re, I, if I could, I rebuke that, I stand against that, where it is so polarized because of various theological views. And now that has fused with various political positions and sides and factions and whatever else you want to call it. And there's all kinds of conversation. It's not even coarse joking and, and, and conversations, but there's insults and criticism and judgment and yelling and hatred and all kinds of stuff from all sides everywhere coming. Paul says replace all that. There is no place for any of that. And if you're a Christian, there is no place for that. But he says there should rather, but rather be thanksgiving. Look, I don't like a lot of things that are happening. I don't like the feeling I get when I, when I realize there's a global pandemic. And there's other, all kinds of other things happening around us in our world. I don't like that. But we should be thanking God. And I admit, it's hard for me. As much as it's hard for you when you start thinking and, and processing and looking and, and disagreeing and maybe even having a reason, honestly, logically, but we should be, thanksgiving should be coming from our mouths. I'm guilty as well. Do not get drunk on wine, he says in verse 18, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Not criticism, not judgment, not polarizing comments, not all, Nope. Build up. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In verse 20, I love this. And he sums it up and he says, And always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not my words. Paul's words. Notice in the scriptures I have read so far this morning the when and the where to do God's will by giving thanks. Notice that. When and where? When do we do it? In all circumstances and always. Or in everything, as another translation says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In all circumstances, in everything, everywhere. 
One word is so important. In all circumstances. We are all in circumstances. And they could be different, but yet they're common in the general sense. There are things that are going on. But we are all in all circumstances. Yours, whatever that is, as well as ours, we should be thanking God. No matter where you find yourself, give thanks. I'm talking to me. I really am. Because not only in all circumstances, but always give thanks. They go together. At all times means at all times. It's not complicated. We give thanks at all times. At all times, no matter the situation. One example to motivate us to thank God in all circumstances is found in the life of Daniel in the Old Testament. He was in Babylon and he had much favor. He was chosen and he rose up. He went through a lot of difficulty too and challenges while in captivity there. But Babylon, Daniel's in Babylon and he's there with his friends as well. But there, was, there, there were people who didn't like him. They were jealous. And they were trying to trip Daniel up and they were trying to find a way to get him in trouble, to bust him. So they went to King Darius in chapter 6 of Daniel and they, made, they, they got him to make up this decree or a law that says that you cannot worship or pray to any other god, false or true, or what, no one else except King Darius. It's there in chapter 6 of Daniel. Now let me just tell you, he was not in a good situation because Daniel found out he knew this. He already saw his friends go in the fiery furnace. They survived that. God protected. He went through all kinds of persecution for being, being a, 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 an exile, and he was there in captivity. And Daniel, he says something. Daniel knows in the face of this prohibition of the worship of anyone but King Darius, with the penalty of being cast into the den of lions for disobedience. Listen to what Daniel does as recorded in verse 10 of chapter 6, right after this decree. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. How did he pray? Giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Can I put a challenge out? And this is no disrespect to our various medical or other circumstances. But when we are given parameters and guidelines of how we can worship or how our world looks and we do not continue as we used to when we are able to, there is no decree that will put us in the lion's den. Sorry for my bluntness. There is no decree that's going to throw us into a fiery furnace. And yet, we don't continue as we used to praying and thanking our God. That might mean something to some of you. And if you're offended, I want you to take that to heart. It's not an offense. It's a challenge and an encouragement that we should continue no matter what is happening around us or how it looks or feels to thank God as we always have been. But may I just pose that maybe we don't continue as we have been because we haven't been 
That's between you and God. I don't judge you. I'm just throwing that out there. Daniel continued. The first church under persecution continued to pray and thank God, no matter what it looked like, how their gatherings looked like, or if they were alone or together, they continued in their worship. Thank God. Thank God. And obedience to this will of God always results in blessings. So, we thank God because we have those before us who thank God, but that thanking God is the will of God. And not only is thanking God His will for believers, but we should thank God because thirdly, being thankful keeps us humble. It keeps us humble. Thanksgiving and thanking God reminds us of our dependence on God upon God. In fact, our asking should be done with thanksgiving, as I already mentioned earlier, according to Philippians 4, 6. We should always offer up our, prayer, our, our petitions and prayers to God with thanksgiving we make our requests known to God. And so when we call to God in prayer, it must be seasoned with thanksgiving and with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thanking God reminds us of God's grace towards us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And that gift was Jesus, if you read the context. That He sent Jesus. Because without Him, we cannot become what the Father wants or do what pleases Him. We can't even be who we are if He didn't come for us because of His grace and died for us. And so when we realize that Ephesians 2 is true through and through, that it is by grace through faith that we are saved, and it's not our works so we can, can't boast, we are filled with thanksgiving because we know we fall short and we can't get there. And you know what? Bye-bye pride. And hopefully more and more, bye-bye pride, and there's more of Christ than more of me, as John, John mentioned, John the Baptist said, that there might be more of Him and less of me. Bye-bye pride. Because we thank God for His grace. Thanking God for others reminds us that we need each other to accomplish what God wants to do through us. It keeps us humble. It's not a one-man show. We move together as God's army, as His kingdom, as His family, as His children, and we go forward and do it together, sharing the burden and the workload. You can't do it alone. And we thank God for that. And it should excite us and energize us. Thanking God is humbling because it reminds us of all that we have in and through Christ. Oh, Paul writes in one of his epistles, we have the riches. There are so many riches in Christ that we have that are spiritual, not to mention the material ones. And if I could make a list, I could be here from now until it gets dark and keep going on my list. I could start thanking God for my home. I could start thanking God for my wife, for my children, for my vehicles, for the food, for my clothing. For everything that I have, the list goes on. That I can walk. That I have vision. That, that, and, then, and even then, when I have vision, I still don't have Helen Keller's attitude. And I see things around me, and that causes me to whine and complain and not be grateful. But I should be thanking God that I have vision, that I can walk, that I have breath in my lungs, that I'm healthy, that God has given us all that we have. And not, that's just the physical things, but the spiritual, that there is salvation, that we're at peace with God because we're reconciled to Him, because we're justified by our faith in Christ, and we're made right with God. We can thank God over and over and over and over again, and we sing about it. It wouldn't be enough. Keep thanking God. It keeps us humble. Now, I shared this a while ago, and 
I, I, I don't know if it was in a community supper we had years ago or not, but I don't know if you guys are familiar with, and if you've been introduced to the Iwanosaurus. Have you ever introduced to that? Do you know who the Iwanosaurus is? You ever heard about the Iwanosaurus? I mean, seriously. Anyone ever hear about the Iwanosaurus? Oh, Uncle Pete says he has, all right? The Iwanosaurus, okay? Listen, he, he, he made his first appearance at my house several years ago when my boys were a lot younger. And it was around Thanksgiving time, getting towards Christmas. But I expect him to become a, re- a recurring character even into the future because he has been all this time. Iwanosaurus is this dreadful beast that lives inside all of us. And sometimes he starts to take over. He growls and he gurs. I want, I want, I want. I remember my boys, and even now. I want a cookie. I want some candy. I want gummies. I want, I want. And now it's, I want an Xbox for Christmas and a flat screen TV to go with it. I want those $150 sneakers. I want a car. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I want a Soros is speaking and taking over. Scary stuff. The I want a Soros can only be defeated by a magical, I'm so glad. And I'm so glad is located at the tip of a child's finger or even yours and must be carefully aimed at the attacking Iwanosaurus and fired at with the words, I'm so glad that, and you fill in the blank. The more I'm so glads a group of children can fire, the weaker the Iwanosaurus becomes. Until finally, he lies gasping at their feet because he's out of energy and breath. But you must beware. The Iwanosaurus can attack at any time, even when it seems like he's dead, and especially near Christmas time. And if you feel the Iwanosaurus getting stronger, you really need to be ready with a handful of I'm so glads. It's a good idea to think of five or six I'm so glads every morning just in case Iwanosaurus attacks. You can never be too careful. Thank God that Thanksgiving is a weapon. It is a powerful tool to diffuse despair and doubt and disappointment and depression. It works being thankful. Being thankful keeps us humble and it keeps us, sorry for the expression, but it keeps us high. Finally, we should thank God because heaven is filled with thanksgiving. This is a simple and short point. What we're doing here, these first three, we've been preparing 
for when we will one day be in heaven with Jesus forever and ever. It's a rehearsal of sorts, but not really, because this is real. We really are doing this, and it's part of our lives and our life. But, but we, we thank God continually because we're preparing, and it's in keeping with what we're going to do forever and ever and ever. Revelation 7.12 says, And all these creatures are saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And over and over and over and over. And, and, and sometimes, would you get tired? I mean, you might think you will. And, and sometimes we do that. You could just sit there. And, and I know we heard that we don't want to have vain repetitions last week. And, and we don't. Because they become vain because our heart's not in it. But when we're in heaven with God, we're going to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, over and over and glory and glory and glory and glory. Oh, and it'll just oh on and on forever. And we're going to love it. And it won't be vain. And it won't be empty. And it won't be shallow. It's going to be the real deal. We're going to be there face to face with God forever. Just picture that in your mind. That we're going on and on and on glorifying Him in glory and thanking Him and ascribing to Him His wisdom, power, and might and, and glory forever and ever. It's our mandate in preparation for heaven is to thank Him with all sorts of praises. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the writer says, Through Him, which is Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, and he defines what that is, that is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to His name. Oh, but God knows, and my heart's grateful. God knows in my mind, I'm grateful. No, fruit of our lips, always associated with thanksgiving in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even now and in heaven, they are declaring with their lips, these beings, that God deserves all thanksgiving and glory, honor, and power, and it's nonstop fruit of our lips. Oh, if we would just have, if we would replace some of the other fruit that we have from our lips in our lives with this kind of fruit. Oh, Jesus. How different not only would our lives look, but maybe our world. So, four things, reasons why we should thank God, but let me just conclude with this. So, how? How will we thank God as we prepare to go to heaven and do this forever? Now, I was thinking about this over the past couple weeks, and I was having a hard time summarizing what I was feeling and thinking and what I wanted to convey, and it's not going to be what you expect. And I finally came across an article that summarized it perfectly, and I won't read that article because it'll be 15 more minutes. But I will read part of it or paraphrase. I just, I'm going to give the credit. So I'm going to go back in from paraphrasing to quoting, just so you know. But it was written by a man named John Bloom. And this is some of the things he says, and it summarizes exactly what I think. How? You know, we are not, by our fallen nature, thankful people. We're not. The Bible teaches us that, and you can see it around us. We're naturally very selfish. This was evident when we were children, wasn't it? And we're still children in some ways. We're still learning, aren't we? We're growing up. 
We had to learn gratitude, didn't we? Yep, we had to learn it. And this usually began with our parents. They had to remind us to be thankful, didn't they? And they still remind us. When grandma gave us a gift or when we were on our way to our friend's house and we knew they were getting treats there or whatever, our parent would often say, remember to say, thank you. And this, and right here, there is our condition illustrated. Remember to say thank you. That illustrates our condition. Being reminded to give thanks, however, is very biblical. Very biblical. In the book of Psalms alone, we're reminded nearly 50 times to thank God. Not to mention at least that many times in the New Testament. God reminds us frequently because we need to be reminded. But we can tune his reminders out just like we used to do with mom or dad or grandma. And we can do with God what we learned early to do with everyone else. Become a fake thanker. Being self-absorbed sinful people and modeling off the self-absorbed, sinful people we observed. We learned early to use expressions of gratitude, often more as social gear-greasing courtesies, as John Bloom says, and reputation enhancers, rather than real, heartfelt expressions of amazement that someone showed us kindness or generosity or sacrificed on our behalf. And now, when we hear the Bible tell us in Colossians 3.15 to be thankful, we can do the same thing and turn it into an obligatory expression of spiritual courtesy toward God rather than an expression of an astounded, overwhelmed realization that we have received mind-blowing grace from Him. We've learned to say thank you without feeling thankful and to think it's okay. It's not okay, he says. And I agree. Thankless gratitude is like affectionless love. It's like joyless happiness. It's like the form of godliness without its power. It's not okay. It's not the real thing. And as long as we practice it, we are missing out on the joy that God intends to give us through thanksgiving. That's not me. I'm not a fake thinker. I think we all are more often than we think. So as we go our way today, as we go through this day, through this week, and approach Thanksgiving on Thursday, take to heart the four reasons I've put forth why we ought to thank God. And remember 
how to do it. In sincerity, from the deepest part of your heart, and in truth, with all the feeling that comes from the deepest part of you and from the deepest part of your, the recesses of your mind. Put them all together and just call out to God when you've gone through those four reasons and then say, thank you, God. And maybe, just maybe, it won't be perfunctory. And maybe, just maybe, it won't be thank thanksgiving. Let's do that. Let's be real thankers. Let's follow in the footsteps of those who went before us and let's fulfill and obey the will of God by thanking God always for all things everywhere. Amen? God bless you. Have a great day. Let's bow our heads as we close our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Lord, again, seal this with your Holy Spirit in our minds but in our hearts. May the fruit that is produced truly be fruit that is upon our lips that says, thank you, God. Help us, Lord, to live a life of thanksgiving and to see the many things that we ought to be grateful for. To you be all the glory, praise, and thanksgiving today, later, tomorrow, later this week, and for the rest of our lives. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Be thankful.